This is episode 78 of the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and I'm here with Mindy Kearney. Hello. Hello, Mindy. Long time no here. No, I know. Although I did see you today in person from six feet apart for three and a half minutes. Yes, it was a very brief reunion. Yes. <laughs> we both showed up at the same place to podcast and I was like, well, we can both can't stay here now, can we? So I'm back at home and you're at the office. I'm at the office. Yes. Yes. It's been a while since <sighs> we have done this. Eh? It's been like, is it May or something since we I don't we know. Last... I, I know you said May and I felt like it wasn't May, but we talked about the um, continuous learning field guide. So that was probably... Mm-hmm. May or June, right? I think it was May. You're probably right. I always wonder when we have our summer breaks if people think, oh, they've just stopped podcasting now. Yeah. And, <laughs> but hey, we're back. So hopefully we're you back. still have us in your feed somewhere. Yes, right. Hopefully get on a little bit more of a schedule. Are things getting back to normal? I don't think so. But I mean, we can pretend on our podcast that everything is back to normal. I think that's a service we should provide for people. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah, and speaking of services, uh, we got yeah. a message from Chad Kafka on Twitter <laughs> yeah, saying that. that maybe we should rename the podcast the EdTech <laughs> Curbside Pickup. Oh, what do you think? So clever. So clever, Chad he's Kafka. A, he's a witty one, isn't he? He is a funny guy. He's probably not nearly as funny as he thinks he is. That's right. Yep. <laughs> but a good idea. So maybe while we're in quarantine, we're the EdTech Curbside Pickup. Welcome to episode 78 of the EdTech Curbside Pickup. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and this is Mindy Kearney. So, lots of new updates. We're going to try and power through here at the start. Oh, my word, yes. I, yeah, if, okay. I, if I get bogged down on these, then yeah. just move me along, because there's a okay, lot to talk about here. Yeah, there are. We got one blog post from Google that was just, like, packed full of stuff. Everything, yeah, okay. And this wasn't even in the blog post first one. I thought I'd just throw this in just to poke you with because I know you you love all these, Mindy, but mm-hmm. meet.new is here. Great. If you want to start a new Google Meet, I you don't... can just type in meet.new. Okay, great, Google. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Good one. I hope the rest of your nuggets here are better than that one. Well, we'll see. Uh, okay. September releases for... Uh, Google Meet include the larger tiled view with a seven okay. by seven grid, so you can see up to four nine students at once. Good improvement. Yes, Jamboard mm-hmm. is also coming to Meet. So in Zoom, you've got the whiteboard option, and right. uh, in Meet, you're going to have the Jamboard option soon mm-hmm. in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers can prevent students from joining meetings after they've been ejected or after they've been denied entry twice. So oh. some more security type uh, features on there. Okay. Uh, they can also end a meeting for all participants and manage join requests more easily by accepting or rejecting them all on mass. Uh, teachers will soon be able to disable in-meeting chat and set restrictions on who can present during a, a meeting. So can students, I guess I don't know this for certain, on Google Meet, can students private chat one another? In Google Meet, or is that just like a whole class? Like, I think it's chat, a, like I think it's Zoom. a whole class chat. Yeah. Oh, okay. With you, okay. And there's also going to be a setting that requires the teacher to join the meeting first, so students can't join mm-hmm. before the host. Which is good too. Mm-hmm. So these are all kind of all like 
Yeah, they're good things, but they're kind of like uh, catch-up things. We're trying to catch up with Zoom because Zoom does all of these things. Right. And Ooh. in October, we've got some more things that Zoom already does too. But okay. uh, mm-hmm. uh, October, Google Meet is getting virtual backgrounds or blurred backgrounds. Okay. And I kind of I've seen some of this on Student Twitter recently. Stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's been a thing about should students be required to have their webcams on? Mm-hmm. And you know, there's some people saying mm-hmm. things like, you know, some students come from homes or backgrounds that they don't want to necessarily show all their peers what it's like in their house or mm-hmm. what their home living conditions are like, or maybe right. you know. So that will give you the chance to have students uh, blur those out or have virtual backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Also by popular request, and people can't wait for this one, breakout rooms. Sure. Which during remote learning and synchronous teaching is going to be huge. So breakout rooms are coming. And so is attendance tracking. You'll soon be able to see who attended your meeting and for how long they were there. Mm. Which is actually, I mean, that's one of the things I think about with Zoom. That's, I mean, because we've hosted like online meetups or whatever for classes that were doing and I always thought it was kind of annoying to have to take like paper and pencil attendance through Zoom. So that's not something that Zoom has though, right? Zoom does have that. Yeah. They do. Yeah. (laughs) You have to log into the web portal to get all that stuff, but it has a record of your meeting and I think it's it might be just sometimes it's just depending on how they sign in to your meeting, but it does it does record the participants and how long they were there. It's actually even got like an attention tracker. Like if you oh. are minimizing the window the whole time and it doesn't look like they're paying attention to the call, Zoom will yeah. give them a, a grade on attention tracking oh. too. Well, Zoom needs to mind its own business probably a little bit. Yeah, you should go back and look at some of our team meetings. There. Okay. <laughs> it's fun data to look at. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, later okay. this year in Google Meet, you can also raise a virtual hand. Okay. There are polls and a Q&A feature coming. And Great. Yes, which is good. Yep. Mm -hmm. Temporary video recordings are going to be available to schools for free. And right now they're available for free, but really only because we're getting that free COVID premium. Yeah, enterprise or whatever. Enterprise package, yes. But you'll be able to record any meet call and store that in your Google Drive for 30 days. Okay. But the free recordings cannot be downloaded or shared outside of your domain. If you want that kind of facility or you want longer videos uh, storage, then you have to upgrade to the the premium one. Okay. Any more comments on that? No. No. no I, it's, it's, I think it's good to see that it's catching up with Zoom because I think there's a lot of school districts that are using Google Meet, but a lot of teachers have been using Zoom like over the summer or for professional learning or whatever. And so they're... We've heard a lot of people saying, well, but Zoom does this and I'm supposed to be using Google Meet. And so I think it's good to see that some of those features that teachers maybe have been accustomed to on the participant side. Yeah. Now that they'll be able to have some of those things with their students. So, yeah. And it is nice that it connects with Classroom and stuff. And Classroom is super popular, you know, so I'm glad to see that. That's a great reason why a lot of schools are are turning to Meet because they just want to keep it all in the same ecosystem. And that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It makes more sense if you have all the features you want to. Right, right. So some updates for Google Classroom, and I think some of these are already here. Um, Okay. There's a to-do menu on the homepage of your classes, 
um, which I have already. I don't know if everybody oh. has that, but it's a little to-do okay. page, and you click on that. It will tell you all the things that have been assigned to you that you've still okay. got to do. Right. It will show you uh, missing assignments, and it will show you things that you have done. So the teacher and the student get the the to-do menu on there too. Uh, the teacher also gets one called To Review, and that's on the oh. homepage. And it, across all your classes, it will show you all the assignments that you've got left to uh, review. Nice. You can also now enroll students with a link. You used to have to give them the code or right. enter them all by email address. But if you have all mm-hmm. your class on like a group or something, you can just take mm-hmm. the link, send it to them all at once, and they can click on the link and get in that way too. Mm-hmm. Our friend, the originality reports are getting an upgrade. No. Yeah. Okay. Google is increasing the number of free reports you can use from three oh. to five. How generous of you, Google. You can use five oh. originality reports in a class now. Uh, reports can be now be printed, saved, downloaded, shared, and uh, will soon be available for Google Slides because there were only docs before, I believe. Right. Huh. And okay. a couple more quick things. The Classroom mobile app is going to get better offline support which I think in our times of remote learning yeah, and kids right. maybe having connections and not having connections is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know a lot of details about the last one, but apparently Google is building some administrator tools to allow you to create and manage courses on a larger scale. Oh, which would be nice. Which, yeah, sounds like... just upload stuff like you do for Seesaw, you know, to make all yeah. those different classes Upload like a roster yeah. of kids or something. Yeah, and right. We're really getting into LMS territory now when you're doing stuff like yeah. that, I think. Yeah, so, right. I agree. Yeah. All right, so I have a few updates for Seesaw. Um, now you can... Um, add links, multiple links to a Canvas page in Seesaw. Um, you can also, I'm going to use my air quotes with hyperlink images and text in Seesaw as well. So um, there are, there's like a little link icon that shows up next to text and pictures that you can add a link to, which is kind of nice. Mm. Um, especially the more we kind of have started talking about like choice boards or playlists or those types of things. Um, this last spring, we talked about creating those in Google Slides and then putting the link into Seesaw. But now, I think that Seesaw really, you wouldn't even need to use slides anymore if you have a Seesaw for Schools account. Um, that was my question. You, I was going to ask if you yeah. even need to use those templates anymore. Well, you do. If So the thing about um, Seesaw for Schools and the difference between that and the free version is that with um, the free version, you only get one, I think you only get one page at a time. But with Seesaw for Schools or with the... Um, Seesaw Plus account, you can have multiple pages in a project. So that's when it looks more like Google Slides than, um, you know, if you have the free version where you just get one page. So uh, I think that's really nice. And I think it's just one less, you know, thing that you, one less tool that you have to use. And that's always been my biggest thing about Seesaw too, is like all of those tools are built in. And so the more powerful those creative tools get, the less you have to use outside tools, which I think is easier for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can also add uh, the draw and video tool um, is really neat because students and you can record yourself like drawing something or talking through a math problem or whatever. So 
Now what you can do is use that um, same tool, but use it across different pages. So if you're a teacher, I think this is really great if you are creating an instructional video for your students. So if mm-hmm. you have multiple pages in a project mm-hmm. and you want to walk through all of those um, different pages, then um, you can create a video to show how to do that and talk through all of those instructions. And then it automatically plops that video um, at the top of your pages so that students would look at it first. So um, I think that's really nice. But once again, that would be something for um you know, teachers that have the ability to make multiple page projects, because then you can plop that into an activity too. So, oh, you know what? One other thing I didn't mention about the links on a canvas is that you can also link to a different page in your project like you would in slides. So, you know, how you can hyperlink something Mm -hmm. in slides. You can also now link from, um, link on like an image or a text of some sort to another one of your, um, pages in your project, which I kind of talked around that. I'm not sure how clear that was, but, um, it's just in your drop down menu where you could put in a hyper or a link of some sort. You can also say link to another page and that will be, um, another page inside your project. So, uh, a nice way to provide some workflow for your students. If they're doing a little bit of choice or whatever, you can have all of those things, um, plopped in there. And once again, greatest thing about it is adding it then to your, uh, library or your school library or the seesaw activity library. Cause then that your hard work benefits the work of others too. So what does that look like from a student point of view? Like the multiple pages, do they have like arrows to click through or is it like, like a turning pages um, on a book or. Yeah. So the, um, the look for a student is pretty similar to what it looks like if you're on the creation side of it. So the, um, pages show up just on the right-hand side, you know, in Google Slides, it shows up on your left-hand side, like mm-hmm. the unpublished version of it. Yeah. Um, so you can see all of them, but they're just on the right-hand side instead. Um, but they, oh no, I take that back. Take all of that back. I just pulled edit up that the, all out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Edit all of that because there are front arrows and back arrows, it looks like. And then it shows um, what page you're on of how many. So it might show that you're on page two of five pages or something like that. So, um, and then all of those links are just nice and clickable inside um, the the canvas as well. These are right. all good updates to have because yeah. I have this... one more. I have one more. Okay. I will save I that. One more. Go on then. <laughs> one more. So um, this is, once again, a Seesaw for Schools um, thing, too, that I think is really nice, um, is that now students have the ability um, to go in and they have a to-do list, an in-progress list, and a done list as well. So, we just talked about this for Google Classroom. I know. Yeah. And I do, I, my fingers are crossed that this is correct when I say that this is just for um, Seesaw for Schools students because... Um, there's also draft mode in C software schools, which we've talked about before. And so to me, the only time you would get these options then would be through a C software schools account or a plus account, but I'm not a hundred percent certain because sometimes the stuff I see, I'm like, Oh, is that just part of the free version or do I, is that part of the paid version too? So, um, it's kind of nice because then students can go in and also I think really beneficial for parents who might be trying to navigate things at home and they're like, Holy cow, this feed is full of stuff. Um, now some of those things are separated out. So those are just a few of my seesaw updates, but all good ones. 
we have more schools using CISO for schools yeah. than ever before, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. This We've year. got a lot. We've got a lot. Yep. And there's good transitions. I mean, there's lots of, I always, you know, tell people like, don't pay for the CISO for schools if you can get by on the free account. But um, once you kind of really get used to using the Seesaw free account, you're like, oh, wow. But it'd be really powerful if I could have these things. And so um, it's nice to see some schools that are graduating into that and um, feel comfortable and, and are ready to take that on. Well, speaking of transitions, maybe we should move on to our guest for this episode. You bet. All right, up next, serve to you piping hot. Our main course today is Marshall Escamilla from Tumble, the science podcast for kids, which we talk about on this show. Um, we recommend it all the time to our teachers and our listeners. So thanks for coming to join us today, Marshall. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Maybe tell us where you're podcasting from today, and then maybe tell us a little bit about what is Tumble. Well, let's see. I mean, as you said, I'm Marshall, uh, and I actually am coming to you from Barcelona, Spain, where I've lived since 2017 with uh, Lindsay, my uh, partner in podcasting and also in life, um, mm -hmm. and our two boys, Emmett and Jamie. Um, and I've been a teacher mostly in independent schools for uh, about 17 years. And in that time, I've kind of covered the gamut of Literally every subject but science, which is really interesting that that's what I podcast about. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to convince us more that you know what you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fun thing about my role is I don't have to know what I'm doing because uh, Lindsay is, I mean, she's the one who brings the science expertise because she um, uh, has many years as a science journalist under her belt. Um, I just kind of bring the uh, community communicating to kids and making it fun and knowing about learning kind of uh, expertise. So, you know, for that, that you don't need <laughs> subject-specific expertise for that. That's right. You're also a musician, is that correct? And you, I hear you write all the music for the podcaster. I, I do, I do. Yeah, I, um, I've been playing guitar since I was seven years old. And um, when I finally sort of settled on a discipline, uh, I did settle on teaching music for... Uh, I did that for about 10 of the 17 years that I've taught. So um, that's that's been my main kind of focus and passion, but also sort of not limitation, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. My, my dad was a music teacher as well, so come from a musical family, for sure. <laughs> Do you play anything? <laughs> um, a little bit, but not very well. Um, I was raised playing the violin. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh, that's the hard so one. So I can do it. It is a hard one. Yes, it's, it doesn't have marks on where to put your fingers or anything like that. So something with frets. I, uh, you should go with something with exactly, frets. Exactly. Yeah, I taught myself a little bit of guitar, just a few chords here and there. But that's uh, all you need, yeah. really. That is, yeah. But my my daughter's learning the trumpet right now, and um, yeah, that's that's one we we need a larger house or space or rooms to uh, accommodate her sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's a harder one for the family. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> to deal with. But, you know, at least she didn't learn the drums or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And she's getting a lot better now. So it's a lot, it's a lot easier for the rest of us too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah always the, the hard part about the teaching of brass is um, it takes them a while to learn how to make a tone first and then a while to make a tone quietly. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> 
So can you tell us about uh, the Tumble podcast and where that idea came from? You know, what's what's the origin story for that? Oh, sure, sure. So the Tumble Science Podcast for Kids is uh, is a science podcast for kids. And our main mission is to sort of communicate to kids the process of science and not just a bunch of random science facts. So, you know, we won't just do like, okay, do you know, what do you know about koala bears? First of all, do you know they're not bears? Um but we might do, instead we do a story in which a scientist talks about the research relating to koalas and how, um, how they came to asking the question that they were asking and then how they found the answer. So that's, that's what we do. And, you know, the, in terms of the origin story, it was sort of something, you know, as I mentioned before, my, my wife, Lindsay Patterson, was a science journalist um, she actually worked for a show called Earth and Sky, which you might have heard of. Um, they do 90-second spots on uh, uh, NPR-affiliated stations. Um, and she worked there for a while and kind of came out of it. And then when our son was born, our first son, Emmett, was born in 2014, um, you know, I... For those of your listeners who have kids, you probably know that, like, first year of your first kid's life, there's just this, like, really big upheaval where all of your old habits are are turned upside down. and You become just a skeleton of who you used to be. <laughs> wow. I mean, I was going to say... Do you know, we used to be fun and do what we wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I mean, well, something that certainly I wasn't prepared for is like, you know, when your kid finally settles into like a sleeping schedule where they're going to bed um, early and then sleeping for 12 or 13 hours if you're lucky. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. You, you mm -hmm. kind of have this like delightful period of, you know, six months where it's like the kid's in bed and we can't leave the house because that would require paying someone for the privilege of leaving the mm -hmm. house. So, mm -hmm. um you know, you, you just have this delightful period where there's like, what are we going to do now? And um, in out of that, I think, you know, Lindsay really saw that there was an opportunity to uh, create something that didn't really exist and that would fill a real need and something that she saw as being incredibly important, which is having a younger generation that's ac actually scientifically literate and doesn't just know a bunch of random facts. Um, so, you know, she kind of already had the skills in the background to do that really well. And at that point, it was just a matter of training me to be not so terrible. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting you say, you know, when you started it, this was something that didn't really exist before because, I mean, now there's all kinds of other science. Po In fact, science is a really popular topic for uh, people who are podcasting for kids. You've mm -hmm. got your wow in the world and mm -hmm. you've got all those other things that are yeah. out there now. But uh, you guys were among the first people to, to start doing this. Yeah. I mean, when we started, it was really uh, brains on already existed. Um, but they were pretty much the only one who was even doing any kind of podcast for kids. Um, for the most part, it was, you know, it was, it was a pretty wide open space that wasn't being very well served at all. Like, and certainly not in the way it is now. I mean, there's tons of podcasts for kids now. Um, mm -hmm. but five years ago, there was basically nobody. 
except brains on. I don't want to give them short shrift. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to go a little off script here and just ask you a little bit about um, if you've heard anything, you know, clearly teaching is a little bit different right now. And, um, and, teachers are asking or being asked to teach in a different way. Have you heard any feedback from teachers like, hey, we're using your podcast in this way um, from remote learning? And I mean, have you heard any of that? Because we definitely think podcasts have a really could have a really great presence in in remote learning and whatever is ahead of us um, in the upcoming year. But have you heard from teachers at all? Um, I mean, not yet. I think most of my most of my teacher community, I think right now is just like, just so overwhelmed trying to get ready for the the, uh, school year and like plunging into something completely unknown. Um, I I've heard from teachers who've used our podcast in the past in like an in-person setting and um, we've actually gotten some really cool, uh, really cool kind of like pictures of kid projects that were inspired by episodes we did. Um, Particularly one that particularly stands out is uh, we did an episode called the voyage of the ocean trash, which is all about Mm -hmm. um, the enormous quantity of, trash that is in actually every ocean yeah. we the most famous one is in the pacific but the all, all of them have a huge garbage patch in them um depressing fact for the day sorry uh, <laughs> yeah. wow you really brought us down yeah. really you know how to bring it down yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um <laughs> but you know the out of that episode um uh, there was a teacher who did a ngss unit like an engineering unit based on okay, here's the problem of plastic trash in the ocean. Let's design a solution. And mm-hmm. uh, I got to see a bunch of 11-year-olds sending pictures of their solutions and what they were going to do to try to fix the problem of trash in the ocean. So, you know, it, that that was really cool in a lot of ways because, you know, here's this enormous problem that's really, really a big problem. And to see mm-hmm. kids kind of applying their minds and design thinking and all that stuff to solving it was inspiring. Which I think is really um, interesting because you talked about how the the reason that you guys started this podcast is because you wanted kids to know more about science than just facts. And that's how I learned science, right? Mm-hmm. It was just through a textbook yep. and, yep. you know, you just kind of memorized your stuff yep. and whatever. And, and you get the sense that, that like there's... everything's known and it's all boring. Right. Right. <laughs> But why so important for our students now and in this time, too, when they might be stuck at home to really um, be brainstorming and thinking about how to solve these big world problems, you know, that um, instead of just trying to learn and, and how hard would science education be? How much harder if we were just expecting kids to memorize these facts at home on their own, where in fact now you're giving them an opportunity to kind of listen to a story that's a real story, a real problem that's going on and asking them to, you know, brainstorm some solutions to it. So you guys are doing a great job of hitting that mission statement over (laughs) and over again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's what I hope. And I hope uh, I, I also hope we can make it fun and enjoyable because I think that's always certainly that was the piece that was missing from most of my education was like, you know, by the time I got through college, it was pretty clear this is supposed to be boring. And if it's not boring, you're doing right. it wrong. Right. And, um, you know, it's only, you know, once you sort of get to the upper echelons of a discipline that you actually find people who are like, oh, this person actually enjoys this crazy. <laughs> What? <laughs> That's weird. I didn't know school could be enjoyable. 
<laughs> no kidding, right? Yeah, I think it's great for kids to have, you know, some role models or people they can listen to or look up to that, you know, are really into science. I mean, Mindy probably had people like Bill Nye when she was growing up and people mm-hmm. like that that were trying to make science more fun, more engaging and all that kind of thing. We didn't get him in the UK, but I've... I've managed to catch up a little bit since being over here. <laughs> You're but... still catching up on a lot of things, right? Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. I, <laughs> Mindy is, Mindy's always filling me in on little cultural references and things that right. I, I, yeah. I, I still miss out on. But I'm sure it's the same for you in Spain as well. Oh, uh, for sure. Like but, for uh, sure. Yeah, science, science has to be fun and engaging and interactive. But I guess all our school curriculum does because we know that kids are more engaged and they learn more when they, they're more invested in, in, the, in the subject matter. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, so, Marsha, why don't you tell us about this uh, pod course that you are developing with Tumble, the wildlife of your home? Is that yes. right? Yeah. So, um, we're doing this in partnership with a platform called Himalaya Learning, which is sort of um, what they're doing is they're creating a bunch of kind of like uh, masterclass type online courses um, which I don't know if you've seen like the YouTube ads for Masterclass where it's like yes, Malcolm Gladwell. Sure. They have cooking yeah. shows and different things. Yeah. And yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of doing the same thing, uh, but with audio only courses. Ah, okay. And um, we, in partnership with them, made uh, an audio only course that's designed for kids age 7 to 12. Um And it's based on our episode called Discover the Wildlife of Your Home, which features the work of a scientist named Rob Dunn. Um, And Rob Dunn is a scientist out in North Carolina who did a big study about kind of surveying the wildlife uh, inside houses um, all over the world. So it's like, you know, really, I mean, it's a lot of spiders, to be honest, but... Okay. <laughs> I was no, like, wait. Not my what? favorite creature, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and he actually, he actually wrote a terrific book called Never Home Alone, which is just about all of the organisms and uh, creatures, microbes, arthropods, hmm. uh, even the occasional mammal that has sort of evolved to live inside with people. Um, okay. Interesting. And there's there's an enormous variety, actually, that you probably don't even realize of of creatures that live in your house. That no, um, no I'm looking around my house, yeah. like, like <laughs> what are we talking about These here? <laughs> creatures we don't want to know that are living in our house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's sort of the you know the initial reaction is like, oh, uh, but mm-hmm. there's um, I, I think the the thesis of the book, and I think also of the pod course and of the episode, is that sort of whether you want to or not, you're living with other creatures. And it's just a question mm-hmm. of which creatures do you want to be living with? And the harder you work to get rid of them, the more likely you are to have only the really nasty ones stay. Um, oh my gosh, it sounds like my family. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been home with these microbes for a long time. <laughs> oh my god. Oh boy. Okay, I'm going to need to read that book. So are there solutions of how to get rid of them? Or? <laughs> well, I mean, the, big, the biggest thesis is uh, learn to like the predators. Oh, so okay. Yep. So okay. You, your spiders and your centipedes, mm-hmm. you... You you want to keep those guys around because they're they're huh. helping control the populations of the cockroaches and the mosquitoes and the um 
other horribly nasty things that would otherwise be perfectly happy. So, um, yeah, and throughout the pod course, sort of what we do is we we guide kids on doing kind of what we call guided indoor explorations. And so they're going, you know, from room to room in their house and looking in the corners and looking under their beds and, you know, sort of developing hypotheses about where in this room would I find something living if I if it was here, what makes a good a good uh, habitat for an indoor animal um, and where would be a good place to find specimens to examine and classify and all that. And ultimately, at the end, the idea is that they build sort of a model of their indoor ecosystem and how all the animals that they live with might be connected to each other and maybe connected to the broader world. That is super interesting. Yeah. I think, too, like, I um, I don't know if you guys as kids do this, but, um, like, the 15 water cups they have, like, in their room or, like, the half-eaten sandwich. I think that kind of stuff is interesting, too, because I don't think they understand why you, you probably need to toss that water. You can't just keep drinking out of it because things will eventually start, are living in there. <laughs> I think things are... This is an interesting, like, parenting role. Like, <laughs> hey, let's figure out why we can't, you know, eat the cheeseburger that I found in the swim bag. Like, <laughs> you gotta yeah. throw that stuff away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, you know, my oldest son is six, and I don't think he's quite old enough to be into the, like... He's, he's not independent enough to, like, have six glasses of water in his room you know he can't mm-hmm. reach the sure. glasses on his own yet sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. so he will don't worry yeah <laughs> it's coming what are the uh what, what are the, the challenges or the the thought process that goes into creating this kind of like learning series as opposed to like when you when you do a podcast how 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 do you find those mm-hmm. different and yeah what kind of approach do you have well i mean what was most interesting for me and like as i mentioned before i've never Science is the only subject I've never taught, right? Um, So I'm pretty familiar with, you know, looking at state standards and then taking that and building units and then, you know, within the units, building your individual lessons, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I I don't even know why I needed to say that because your audience is all teachers. They know what they're doing. (laughs) Um, But what I wasn't really familiar with was uh, the next generation science standards, which we really wanted to make sure that we were at least minimally aligned with those in a way that it could be useful as something that a teacher could use in their class and say, you know, I'm ticking the NGSS box if that's necessary. Um, So it was really interesting to me to learn about that, um, about those standards and what they're trying to accomplish and how they go about trying to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And I honestly was extremely inspired um, by those standards, which as a 17 year educator is a really weird thing to say. (laughs) I know it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cause I just remember, you know, when I first started, I, I was teaching in Texas and you know, they, Texas was kind of an early adopter of the no child left behind type of teaching. And so, you know, you really had to hit all the teaks and you had to make sure that, like, the kids were prepped for the STAR test or I I actually don't even remember what the test was called back in 2003. But, you know, you had to make sure all those boxes were ticked and pretty much every educator I knew at that time was like, this is the worst thing in the world. I wish they'd just let me teach. 
and um it's very it's honestly very like alien and foreign to me to encounter a group of standards where I'm like, wow, this is actually really getting it in a profound and important way and is really aligned with what we're trying to do with Tumble. So I, I thought that was great and also really challenging because I had to do a lot of research and a lot of conversations with people who knew more than I did. So is this uh, like something you think you would repeat or, or do again? You got future pod courses planned? The answer to your question is yes. I mean, we're really interested in doing more and making more things that can be used directly in the classroom and that are designed for that. Um, so, you know, I mean, when we make our normal podcast episodes, we sort of don't. We, do, we just think about telling a fun story and we haven't spent a lot of time thinking about, like, how exactly would this fit with what a teacher is trying to teach mm -hmm. on a given Tuesday? Um so we definitely, th this has kicked off us thinking a lot about um, just just how to do more stuff like this and how to get more involved in, in teaching and education, which I'm super excited about. So I think I have one more question for you. Um, I, as you were kind of talking about this pod course, um, I thought, wow, what a great idea for teachers who might have students who have chosen to learn from home or... Um, that are just trying to kind of shake up their instruction in general. What kind of planning did you do? Not necessarily like the research, but what kind of planning did you do that, you know, maybe a teacher could model from that or take some, you know, tips from you about how to plan, you know, a pod course? Right. Yeah. Well, so I think there are a lot of steps that would be really familiar to anyone who's planned a unit, right? Where, you know, you start with your big goal and then you, you know, what's the big takeaway you want kids to have from this? And then from there you go, what's the final product that they're going to produce at the end of this unit? And then um, sort of, you know, going through step by step on how to build that. I mean, I think that's all something that's not, not alien to anybody who's taught mm -hmm. anything. Um, the one thing that was really different in, in this way it was really helpful um, to have Lindsay, who's really expert at audio storytelling. Um, there was a lot of specific editing that had to be done to make it engaging as audio. Um, and lots of, lots of thinking that we had to do about, okay, so if this is just audio by itself, what tools are we using that are different from if it was video and how what are the advantages and what are the limitations that we have of that medium um and really you know the biggest things that we came up with and this is for you know a teacher who wants to instead of doing a video recording of their lecture maybe do an audio recording or something um some of the advantages of audio are that it's really immersive in a way that video is not you can kind of put on your headphones and it really takes you into a world in, in a way that if there's video, I, I don't know why this is, but if there's video, it kind of takes away that immersive quality. Um, it's also a lot more intimate than video. Um, you know, you have a lot more intimate connection to the person just because it sounds like they're whispering in your ear, you know, like, and there's, the added advantage is that people can listen 
while their eyes are engaged in other things. So you can create specific activities that are like, okay, now look at something that's not, that I'm not showing you, that you're seeing in your real life. Mm -hmm. Look at it and maybe draw it or maybe, you know, write down 16 different attributes you see on the thing that you're looking at. Um, you can also have people get up and walk around your room and look at other things that are in three-dimensional space and not just on the screen in front of you. And, um, and it really feels, you know, real and present. I mean, you can have people go out on a walk and guide them on a walk and say like, okay, look at the sky. Do you see any birds there? Why do you think there are birds there? Why do you think there aren't? What, you know, you can kind of go through mm -hmm. sure. a much more immersive and I think, um, fully sensory experience in a way that a video is never going to be able to do because you're just kind of glued to a screen staring at it. Mm, that's a very good point. Mm, I really appreciate all those points. Uh, they resonate with me in terms of like when I'm listening to podcasts as well, that, you know, it is something that is directly being pumped into my brain and I can, you know, absorb all that information that way. And I, I don't really do anything else while i'm podcasting it might be walking the dog or something like that but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm i'm processing all that information if i'm watching videos i will you know maybe have a second screen up or i'll have it in another mm, tab sure. or i'll be doing yeah, something else right. at the same time and yeah and it's not mm -hmm. uh, always as immersive for sure yeah mm -hmm. no i mean it's definitely you know i i, I had a uh, i took an online class for my master's degree and um you know one of the the professors would just put her lecture on and i just kind of tuned out the video and just listened to her audio and then did all my household chores while I was doing the lecture. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it was, um, you know, I mean, occasionally there'd be like, okay, I have to go look at the slide right now and make sure I mm -hmm. see what she's talking about. But you know, the, just having it be audio, it's, it's so much more freeing, I think, than, you know, especially for kids, like expecting them to sit in a chair, staring at a screen for six hours a day. That's, yeah. oh boy. I, mm -hmm. I do not envy you know, teacher, teacher has to teach eight-year-olds right now. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you've got district requirements that they have to be logged in for a certain amount of time staring at you, like, oh, Those know. are not good requirements. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no, they're not. But I do understand why they're, why they do that, I think, on some level. But yeah. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that too much. <laughs> no. <it's> <laughs> <laughs> so if people wanted to find out more about Tumble and your pod course, where should they go? So for Tumble, our website is sciencepodcastforkids.com, um, which tells you something about how early we started that that wasn't taken yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, for our pod course, you can go find it on Himalaya.com slash Tumble. And, um, you know, in order to access it, you do have to download the Himalaya app, which is just another, uh, you know, pod catcher like Stitcher or Radio Public or um, yep. I forget what the other big ones are. But so you have to download that app and then you can get the course and you can you can buy it. It's the course by itself is fourteen ninety nine and it's 10 episodes and, uh, you know, 150 minutes of a kid uh, being engaged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think for all these parents that are doing like home learning and things at home now, this could be a great option for them too. Yeah, 
Absolutely. No, totally. And where, you know, if for folks who might be interested in doing it in their classroom and purchasing it through the school, um, they should probably email us through our website on Science Podcast for Kids, and we can set up a special special contract for, you know, however many seats you you want. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Marshall. This is really enlightening for me. I hope that um, teachers can kind of take this as an idea, too, of not only what – I mean, your podcast idea I think is super interesting, but also taking some of those um, tips and advice to maybe think about a different type of learning for their students. Um, so thanks so much for offering your expertise to us today. All right. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Marshall. Okay, my favorite part of the show up next is Tech Nuggets. You go first. Oh, thank you. Um, my first one, I can't even remember where I where I saw this because... Or how long ago you saw it. I know. I have a, have a, I have a running list of like things. Oh, maybe that could be a Tech Nugget. But I'm sure. going to just probably guess that this was probably from Richard Byrne because most of my mm. good stuff is. But sure. Click on the link on the doc if you want to take a look at this. This is chemix.org, C-H-E-M-I-X.org. And it's for all the science teachers out there that might be wanting to create some diagrams or um, for their students and, mm-hmm. and maybe study guides or different things because it's basically a drag-and-drop whiteboard with all these scientific um, icons that you can put together into um, put it into your workspace and so there's test tubes here there's flasks there's you know shelves there's bunch of burners there's filters there's you can measure things they have um, different uh, pipettes and bottles and wow look at you with your science vocabulary I'm just really great at reading. You can put microscopes well, on see. here. And all you do is you, you click on it. You can resize it, move it around uh, the page here. You can zoom in and out of the page. Each icon that you click on, like I'm clicking on the microscope here, it's got different properties that you can bring it forward and backwards like you might in like a thing like that to layer mm-hmm. things on top of each other. Some nice. of them will let you, you know change the color or the width or the height and and stuff like that you can change the type of uh the color of the liquid inside the beakers Hmm. all kinds of fun stuff i think if you wanted to create something or mock up something for like a lab that you might be doing with your students it's uh, a really quick and easy way to do that or maybe have students you know create something to show what they did in in their experiment I'm so happy that you pronounced it because, like, when I looked at it, I thought first it said Chex Mix, and so to me it was Chemix. Okay. (laughs) But when you said Chemix, I was like, oh, it's going to be something with chemistry. That's what I was was thinking, but maybe it is (laughs) No, I think you're right. I I don't think so. I think it's not not Chex Mix, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I would have made a fool out of myself. Okay, is it my turn? It is your turn. All right, so um, we're really trying to get the word out about this next tech nugget is that all schools in Iowa have had Pear Deck purchased for them. All of the AEAs have purchased Pear Deck for every teacher in the state of Iowa. So 
if you are in the Grantwood AEA area and have not heard about this or are wondering more about it, um, you can definitely check with your digital learning consultant if you know how that is, or you could reach out to Jonathan and I, and we can point you in the right direction. If you are outside of the Grantwood AEA area, your digital learning consultants or technology integrationists or whatever your AEA calls people like us, ooh, then um, you can definitely reach out to them too. So we are, I am just kind of getting started with Pear Deck because it's, it's something that's always been paid for. So I've, and I don't have a lot of schools that had used it because of that. Um, and now that it's been purchased, I'm getting in there and checking it out. And holy tamole, I'm shocked at how powerful of a tool it is and all of the really neat things that you can do. Um, I'm, I'm really thinking about the potential of if you're, meeting with your students over Zoom or Google Meet, having Pear Deck laid over top of your Google Slides decks makes things much more interactive um, within a Zoom call, but also when students are away from us and ways for them to interact in a different way with some of the learning. So, and I think you're probably one step ahead of me, right, Wiley? You've been at this, you know, a week or two. I just started like last week kind of learning about Pear Deck. So is there anything that you'd want to say about it? Uh, no, I think you covered it well. I mean, it is an interactive um, element that you can layer over a slide deck, almost similar to Nearpod and things like that. But right. one of the things I like is that you can assign it um, to students to do at their own pace. If you're right. doing it synchronously or you're working with the class face-to-face, then you know you can do it so that it automatically advances every slide at the same time when everybody's on mm-hmm. the same page. But if right. you want to assign it as a, like a, as a homework activity or as like a breakout or a research project or something, you can just say student paste, give them the link and let them go try mm-hmm. it by themselves. So, Yeah, after I was doing the webinar um, last week, like, I don't know, an hour and a half later or something like that, I received an email with a Google Doc that had pictures of the slides. And then I think it had my responses on it, too, of um, some of the questions that had been put into Pear Deck. And it showed my responses and then left a spot for me to take notes about, um, you know, the slides or or whatever. I thought that was super neat, too. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. What else you got? I also have uh, Khan Academy Kids. Okay. Which I don't think I've talked about it before, but no, hey, it's so been either. a long time, hasn't it? So yeah, you never right. know. So Can Academy Kids is uh, a mobile app for iOS for Android. You can also get it for um, those Amazon tablets. Oh yeah, okay. Um, so it's aimed at two through seven year olds, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a more child-friendly version of what you might find on on the regular Can Academy um, mm-hmm. website. Um, I like it because, you know, it's it's engaging. It's got fun, colorful characters. Um, and it's got an adaptive learning path too. So that as the kids work through it, it's going to help learn more about them and what they need and what they want at their level. Um, there's also uh, teacher tools that you can have as an administrator um, where you can set up a class and you can um, uh, select a level for all your students and see where they all are at different places. You can search for lessons by standards. You can assign lessons to your class and view all the reports and data and things that go along with that. So, like I said, it's, it's aimed at two-year-olds through seven-year-olds. So mm-hmm. this is kind of a, an interesting uh, grade span that doesn't always get a yeah. lot of love, I don't think. Right, right. People make things for, you know, 
competent readers and stuff like that. So it it's meant for for those kind of kids. Um, mm-hmm. There's a like weekly planners for parents that might want to schedule out some of this if they're doing it at home there's even printables for offline uh, type activities you can have on there too all part mm-hmm. of the can academy um, learning network and 100 percent free no ads no subscriptions nothing which is nice yeah especially with such young kids too and that's great oh yeah definitely all right so um my last tech nugget is actually a tech nugget from you I looked this up. It's from September 2019. So well, that was a while ago. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's been in the fryer for a while, but I think it's still a good one because I have um, schools this year who have purchased Chromebooks for like K through five, so they're brand new to Chromebooks. Um, this is a Chromebook simulator. So um, what's really nice about it, I think, is that. Um, I can, a lot of teachers, I think, and this might, this might just be my assumption and, and not correct at all, but may not be using a Chromebook like their students are using a Chromebook. Mm-hmm. And so, um, they, first of all, might be a little curious of how to use Chromebook. And so this simulator allows them to get in and kind of see what it's going to look like. It also is great for projection. So if you're trying to walk your, um, students through how to use the Chromebook, it shows the, more of like the Chromebook as a whole instead of just the what you would normally project um, as like your background or your desktop or whatever. Um, and so it walks through lots of different things and shows, um, you know, just the ins and outs of like setting your time or um, how to add an account and things like that that um, might need step-by-step for young kids or even for older kids too. So it's just kind of a nice a uh, little tool to have if you're new to Chromebooks or your students are new to Chromebooks. Yeah, I think it's a good little orientation tool because, like you said, mm-hmm. um, teachers don't always, um, if their kids have Chromebooks, typically right. they might have a Mac or a PC. And right. although Chrome mm-hmm. looks the same and the websites right. and things you look look the same, you know, some physical things like keyboard shortcuts or, right. you know, finding your downloaded files or... Oh, that's the big one, right? Everyone's I like, know. so where does everything go when I download it? Yeah, so little things yeah. like that. This is a good thing. Maybe you could have kids work through it um, as part of their orientation days and things like that. Or, you know, mm-hmm. at least show it to teachers as well. Let them be able to help their kids better by uh, navigating a Chromebook better. Yeah, yep. All right. All right. I think that about does it for this episode. I think so too. We should. We're back. We should do another one before <laughs> seven months or whatever it is. Yes, since the last we will one. definitely yes. try. Right for sure. Try and get for something sure. out more regularly. <laughs> you can find Mindy on Twitter at Team Carney. I am at Jonathan Wiley. If you want to email us, you can email us podcast at gwaea.org. So, until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.